Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, Bob. Hello there. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Are you sure? Yeah. Good, good? Yeah, why wouldn't I be? Uh, because you were complaining just yesterday. Oh, about the takeaway? Yeah. Well, I think takeaways have got really expensive and I'm here to shout about it to the world. Is it takeaway that got really expensive or was it just that particular takeaway? I think takeaways in general have got more expensive. To be honest, I kind of have to agree. I I kind of feel like we are sometimes paying like restaurant prices for some takeaways. I mean, don't get me wrong. The takeaway we had the other night was really nice. It was Japanese. They've opened up a new Japanese place, which, you know, in Warwickshire, where we live, <laughs> they don't open many Japaneses every day. So we were like, beeline, we're going to try it. And it was lovely. Don't get me wrong. Really nice food. Very authentic. But for two of us, for 40 quid... Now, depending on where you're listening in the world or in the country, £40 might seem cheap, but I think that's expensive. No, £40 is a sitting meal. Yeah. In a restaurant. Well, we so. had that Japanese meal in Canterbury, and I don't think it cost that much. Yeah, but also, just just put it this way. When you can have this meal for 40 quid, again, as you said, lovely Japanese meal, and I wasn't hungry after it, but I wasn't like, Full, you know when you feel like you're going to explode full? <laughs> well, that's what you want from a takeaway, don't you? <laughs> and that's the thing. I, and I, and I well, think, I do anyway. <laughs> and I think that the difference is that you get that for 40 quid, whereas we can get a that sort of bulging feeling in our stomachs from a 7 quid fish and chips. Mm. So suddenly 40 quid, it sounds like a lot. So maybe what we're saying here is not all takeaways are expensive just bougie ones <laughs> well the thing is we've been here before remember the indian restaurant the indian takeaway that we tried and we tried it the first time and, it, and it's like the best indian uh, takeaway in town and we ordered the first the first time and we had a discount so it was fine the second time it, it was literally two curries a rice and an, uh, two rice and an and 40 quid as well i know so basically, the moral of this story is we just need to have fish and chips every week for our takeaway, and that will make me really, really happy. I know, you love fish and chips. I but, love fish and chips. But you know that I'm not that keen. I just en- end up having loads of chips, and then, to be honest, we do get things for me, don't we? But the, thing with, uh, the thing with fish is that I like fish, but I'll have a couple of bites, and then it gets a little bit heavy for me. Oh, I love it. It's one of the greatest things that we can eat as human beings. Well, the good thing, sort of finding the middle ground, is that the same place that does these amazing fish and chips that, that you love also does amazing kebabs. Oh, um, so you're saying this week we're going to have a fish and chip kebab combo? I mean, I kind of fancy a kebab. You really fancy a kebab? Yeah. I, I think you kebab. always fancy a kebab, though. To be honest, that's true. I always fancy a kebab. But also, if we have, like, the kebab and chips and you have the fish and chips, and we have, like, a tiny chips or, uh, uh, like, a portion of chips, then you know what you get the next day. Oh, do you know what? This this is a real revelation, and I think, literally, whatever we talk about on this podcast aside, you need to get some top tips here from Benger, because what he does with leftover chips is he makes them into a Spanish omelette. How do you do it, Benger? Because it is, it is a culinary delight. To be honest, it's, and it's not even my idea. These, what? You know these. The one that told me these was my my Argentinian friend, Flor. I did not know this. This is new information. I thought this was a Benjo original. This is basically second hand. No, yeah, it's second hand. So basically what you do is, yeah, the thing with uh, chips from the chippy, and again, for people who are not in the UK, chips from the chippy are like thick cut, mm-hmm. and they're good when they're hot, right out of the fryer leave them for 10 minutes and they're just not great no they're not and they're not great the next day either no. so it's not something that you oh i have leftover chips well leftover chips i suppose that in any form who really has leftover chips well we do well we do because <laughs> we order so much because we're greedy bastards but the thing is since for me they don't work as chips the next day 
what I do is I just mix them with egg and it's literally just that. It's the same chips, maybe a little bit of the garlic mayo that just happened to be on top of the chips. <laughs> just mix it with eggs and just putting in a uh, in a pan and making an omelette, a Spanish omelette. How many eggs are we talking? Well, it depends on the amount of, uh, of chips that you have left. Say so you have like a, a small plate full. A small plate full is probably two or three eggs. Okay. Well, well, we'll put the recipe up on our Instagram page. <laughs> so well, could, two eggs, yeah. a plate of chips. That's it. Actually, we don't even need to put it on the on the Instagram page, do we? I mean, it's probably the simplest thing ever. It's like, mix the eggs. So whisk the eggs, mix it with the chips, put it in a pan, five minutes, turn over, five minutes, Spanish omelette. Absolutely amazing. Incredible scenes there. But I, I, love, I love fish and chips. Like, it is my favourite food. And I know as British people, we are literally raised on fish and chips. It is the national dish. But the, the, the thing for me is I always have to have, obviously we've talked about the chip spice, uh, salt and vinegar. But the thing that I love the most about when I have my fish and chips, I have to have a portion of scraps with them. Now scraps is a very northern term. It's, I don't know if it's Yorkshire or, or northeast, northwest, whatever. It's northern. But it's a northern English term. And, and the scraps are basically the bits of batter that fall off the frying process when they're mm-hmm. frying the fish and the sausages in the, in the batter. So basically, it's the residue that most fish and chips just throw away. Yeah, but you can request it and you can put them on your chips and it makes them like really crunchy. But I remember moving down to the West Midlands in Warwickshire and being like, I'd go to a fish and chip shop and you'd say, can I have some scraps, please? And people would look at you really funny. And that's because they call them battered bits down here. Indeed. And we have um, a little bit of an experience with that as well, because when we moved here where, where we live, we, we went to a local chippy and Ben wanted to order scraps. So he, ordered, so he asked for scraps. The lady didn't seem to understand what he was talking about. So he said, oh, battered bits. So basically, oh, okay, said the lady. He charged, she charged us, gave us our food. We came back home. When we come back home, <laughs> I just see a bread roll, like a, a, a solitary bread roll. And to be honest, to some extent, I kind of thought, oh, that must be like part of the combo. They give you a bread roll because you in the north as well, you have fish and chips with um, toast, don't you? No, we don't have it with toast. You we have it with we, we have it with bread. Um, we have it with sliced bread. We don't have fish and chips with toast. I don't. Well, I, don't I mean, we're we're odd, but we're not weird. I mean, you having you you having fish and chips with bread, whether it's toast or not, that's the bit that you're offended by. Probably should be offended by the whole carbohydrate overload. It's the north. It's carb on carb on carb. That's how we live. But well, anyway. So it's bread. So I thought, well, okay, maybe as part of the combo, they just give you bread. But no, it wasn't. So um, apparently what we ordered, so what Ben ordered was buttered bits. What the lady understood was buttered bap. Again, bap is the way that locally a bread roll is known as. Yeah. We've so talked about this before. The bread yeah. roll in England has a, you know, you, dr- you drive 10 miles and it's called something different. But around here, it's called a bap. Exactly. So basically, what we got was a buttered bap instead of buttered bits. So we got a bread roll with butter. Yeah. But we've learned from that mistake. I need to be, well, actually, I write stuff down now when I go to the fish and chip shop and just hand her a note. <laughs> it's much easier. But this week, I had a new culinary experience for the first time okay so as you know because we live together uh, i went up to darlington for work yeah indeed i kind of noticed your <laughs> your absence i mean ever so slightly i did notice that i was playing uh, on the playstation for longer than usual <laughs> well because i wasn't coming in asking you to like hang the washing up or do the ironing or mm. well actually we never iron but you know or whether you could play your game yeah, it's usually like, have you nearly finished? Um, yeah. Are you going to do something else now? Well, but the thing is, you come to me and say, oh, are you nearly, are you nearly finished? Okay, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll turn it off because I'm thinking, oh, we're going to do something together. So what do you want to do? Oh, so I want to play my game. <laughs> Bitch. Anyway, you had a whole night. She said, did you miss me though? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I went up to Darlington, which is a town in County Durham in the north east of England so it's even further north than York so I the train went through York 
waved at York, um, but I didn't get off. And the northeast, <laughs> I mean, the northeast is no, 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 no. We're not, we're not passing by that getting off reference without actually talking about it. What? Do you get off on York? No, but I meant I didn't get off the train. Okay. I stayed on the train, so I went past through York on the train. I didn't get off on my hometown. I mean, I love I love where I'm from, and I'm proud of it, but I didn't get off on it. I mean... Anyway, so I went up to Darlington for work, and the northeast, um, Tyneside, um, County Durham, all around there, they're famous for a dish called a parmesan, or a parmo, as okay. it's known locally. It's more kind of Middlesbrough way, but it's kind of spread around that, that area. I was in Darlington... Obviously, I'm going to try Parmesan. Parmo in Darlow. You said the name of the place. I made That's it. what they call it, Darlow. Darlington. Okay. So, a Parmesan is basically a chicken breast that is flattened to within an inch of its life. Like, it's the thinnest thing. Like, you know, like a pizza express pizza is like the thinnest thing in the world. Okay. It's thinner than that. Okay, super thin. Super thin. And then it's breaded. So, kind of like a Milanese... It doesn't sound kind of like a Milanesa. It sounds like a Milanesa. And then deep fried. Yeah. Then a Milanesa. <laughs> and then it's covered in bechamel sauce. Okay, so, oh, we have a name for that. Let me let me Google that because we have, a, we, we have different names for Milanesa. So, depending on what you put on it. So, for example, you have a Milanesa that is like riding a horse. Okay. And that uh, and the riding the horse is because it, it has, for whatever reason, two fried eggs on top of it. Ah. Oh. Okay, so I googled and I found. We call the milanesa, the chicken milanesa with, like, bechamel sauce, we call it a la Suisse. Ah. Oh. I don't know if it actually has something to do with Switzerland. Or because the sauce is white. Or whether because the sauce is white is on top. It's like the frosty mountains, you know. Yeah, like, like Mont Blanc. No, yeah, something like that. Well, that's really interesting, but the topping, the final piece of the Parmesan topping, and it's kind of in the name, is the Parmesan. It's then covered in Parmesan cheese. Okay, so it, basically you had a Milan Salas with. With Parmesan cheese on top. Well, yeah, but I put Parmesan on the egg, remember? So you still get the Parmesan in the ones that I make. But, question is, which came first, the Parmesan or the Milanese? I mean, somebody from... Middlesbrough could have gone over to Argentina and said, well, you've got these Milanesas, we've got something similar back home, and started it that way. But I think that you, if you look, probably breading things and deep fry them is something that the whole world has thought about. Anyway, I had my first Parmesan. They call it King of the North. I call it Heart Attack on a Plate. I had a half, and even the half portion that I had, I couldn't finish. And you know how I like to eat. We talk about this a lot on the podcast. So, what happened to the other half? Well, I don't know. I only had half. I mean, it's huge. Didn't you get the other half? No, no, no. It, you you either buy a full portion or a half portion. Oh, so you bought a half portion. Yeah, I bought a half portion. I didn't just leave it there. Well, but even the half portion, I couldn't finish. To be honest, I was about to be offended. It's like, if you had like a whole thing, a half of it, and you didn't bring me the other half, then... Well, I'm not going to bring you a whole parmesan back from Darlington. Why not? When it, I'm sorry, no disrespect, but when are we going to go to Darlington? Well, I actually would really like to go back to Darlington. I thought it was very, very pretty. I, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I'm not saying it's not pretty. I'm just saying, when are we going to go back so I can try that parmesan thing? Well, we'll have to go back. I've always wanted to see the um, the transporter bridge in Middlesbrough. So we'll go and see that. I'm sure there's a few museums up there that I also want to visit, and then we'll go and have a parmesan. And the other thing that we can do if we go back to Darlington is we can go and visit Tracy. Who's Tracy? You don't know who Tracy is? Tracy's like the most famous person in Darlington. Mm, and it's not Tracy Chapman. <laughs> it's not Tracy Chapman, but... Uh, what? She does have a fast car. She has a fast car? Because she's a taxi driver. Okay, so this is a story about a taxi driver named Tracy. Literally, yeah. So I, I needed to get back to the train station to obviously get my train home. And I phoned all the local taxi companies. No one was picking up. No one was answering. That was chucking it down with rain. There was really bad roadworks in town. So they were saying two hours, two hours, two hours. I was like, are you serious? And there's no Uber as well in Darlington. There's no Uber? No Uber in Darlington. Wow, well, we don't have Uber here where we are. 
Well, we have one car. We literally have one Uber. And it's like, it's like really potluck. It's like, oh, shall we try Uber first? It's like, oh, no, the one car's not around today. But I do find around seven till half seven in the morning is usually when you can get the one car. The one Uber. Yeah. Anyway, Darlington doesn't have Uber. So I was literally stranded. It was too far to walk. It was chucking it down with rain. And I was just, I was getting really, really stressed. Anyway, this lovely lady was really helpful. And she was like, have you tried Tracy? And I was like, well, I've tried all the ones in the yellow pages and the ones that I've Googled. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, no, Tracy's only on Facebook. Okay. So I rang Tracy. Facebook taxi. Yeah. Well, she's, she, she does have a number, but she doesn't have a website. She's only on Facebook. So I found her on Facebook. Obviously, um, we are now friends for life on Facebook. As you'll come as to you get... As you do. You add on Facebook the taxi driver. Well, the first thing that Tracy said to me when I got in her taxi was, I've added you into my phone as Ben too. So now next time you come back, when you ring up, I'll know that I've I've given you a lift before. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Tracy changed my life in Darlington. So I rang her up, first of all, and she said, and I can't do the accent up there, but it's kind of like a soft... Geordie accent so it's a bit hey hey man but I'm not even going to try and do it because I will I wouldn't understand you when on what you're saying and I'll probably offend like a big portion of the north northeast. I just did anyway so but they don't say bab up there they say pet and she said oh I'm really sorry pet but I'm busy for the next hour and I thought well everyone else is saying two hours so and Tracy's Tracy so I'd already seen a picture of her red Mondeo on Facebook so I was already sold so <laughs> so I booked in with Tracy anyway she turned up Heart dance radio blasting out of the car. Did she turn it down when I got in the car? No, she didn't. She encouraged me to sing along. Okay. First thing she did was moan about all the all the roadworks and and and, and apologise that she was late. She wasn't late. She was actually early. And off we went driving through Darlington, and it was the best tour guide that I could have possibly had. So did she give you like the guided tour? Oh yeah, she was she was telling me because I said to her, I was like, I'm not being funny. I've never been to Darling before, Darlington before. I, I didn't really know what to expect, and I said it's really pretty. And she said, Well, this street is here, and she showed me a few of the buildings. She said, But down there, you can't polish a turd, can you? Um, <laughs> she gave me a, a tour of the town, as it were, from from the confines of her taxi. Crazy stools. Yeah, she was showing me all the all the sites of Darlington, the the clock tower, St Cuthbert's Church, the marketplace, all those kind of places heart dance still blaring out of the radios we're singing along i think it was don't give me your life your life give me your life sure and literally every single person we passed she was beeping them from her horn and i was like do you know that person she was like oh yeah he lives down my street or i used to go to school with her or he delivers my milk like literally she knew everybody like it was just insane and she was just like singing along. She was so much full of energy. There was a little bit of a dramatic moment when a bird flew in front of her car and she screamed. Did you hear the bird? No, no, no. The bird was about 50 metres away. Oh, okay, okay. And it wasn't Chanel. <laughs> it wasn't Chanel. But she's, um, um, Tracy has a phobia of birds. Okay. So just FYI, if you're going into Tracy's taxi, don't take a bird with you because she probably won't serve you. Understandable. And then we got nearer to the train station. And um, she was, again, telling me all about these sites and all these amazing things that were happening. They were setting up for Darlington Pride that weekend as well. And she was telling me how excited she was about that. And she said to me, she said, do you know what, Pet? When I drop you off, I'm going to fill the car up with petrol and then I'm going to go for a piddle. What's a piddle? Is that like a lollipop? <laughs> no, she's going for a wee. Ah, oh, OK, she's going for a wee. And then we had a great conversation because this is something that has never really concerned me before. But actually, in that moment, I was like, this is like a real issue. Like, where do taxi drivers we? Exactly. Well, I've always assumed they go to like a shop or something like that. Well, she said bookmakers are the toilet du jour of a taxi driver. She said during the day they'll go cafes, pubs, but she says usually she'll go to places that she knows. She said it's harder on a night time because she doesn't like going in pubs on a night, but I think her son ran a pub so she could go to her son's pub. Or she said, I just go home. Uh, I mean, if you're close enough, then you might. Yeah. So yeah, it was really, really interesting. Something I'd never considered before and I was like, actually, this is this is quite a significant issue. Yeah, I still think that we are overdoing the definition of really, really, really interesting. 
But by the way, talking about interesting, I have my own taxi uh, driver anecdote this week. Do you? Yeah, you were there. When? So... Was I drunk? Um, yes, a little bit, actually. <laughs> oh, God. We went to see your friends, and I decided, and I had a fashion faux pas, because I decided to wear a t-shirt that I have that is Hello Kitty, but it's Hello Kitty in front of a taxi and dressed as Harvey from the film Taxi Driver. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's kind of cute and cuddly on one hand, but also slightly bit menacing on the other. But she's kind of covered in blood in half, on half her face. And she has a gun. And she says, like, hello, Harvey, instead of hello, Kitty. The problem is, your friend's son, who's seven, <laughs> first noticed the t-shirt that's something really cute. And then suddenly, oh, she has a gun. Oh, she has blood everywhere. I think I may have ruined hello, Kitty for him. Oh, oh, that's a shame. But, you know, kids have got to grow up at some point. They need to know the facts of life. It was only a matter of time before somebody would probably have revealed that Hello Kitty's murderous. <laughs> well, Hello Kitty's not murderous. Hello Kitty is quite saintly, quite frankly. It's but, very versatile, that's the thing. But, she does everything. But in the grand scheme of things, I think children need to realise quite soon or at some point in their lives, they need to realise that it's not all unicorns and rainbows. Sometimes it's Hello Kitty with a gun. So, Bab, I thought we'd try something a little bit different this week. Okay. Naked podcast. No, bizarrely enough, it doesn't involve removing any item of clothing, uh, unless you feel moved by what I'm about to present to you. (laughs) Okay. So I was having a bit of a clear out in the garage, and I found all my old books from school, and my old schoolwork, and I realised that when I was 14, I wrote a short story. Basically, we had to write a short story of about a thousand words... And it was half, It had to fit a particular genre. Okay. So I found this and I was. <laughs> I started reading the first paragraph. And you know when you're like... When I was 14 I probably thought this was like really, really intelligent writing. And really, really deep and so moving. What genre did you choose? Well, I've kind of gone for train spotting erotica. Okay, so... I want to say I'm surprised. I'm not really... So I thought this week we could have a a cultural week on the podcast and I could read my story for the first time. So we're now also overdoing the meaning of the word word cultural. Well, it's a story. It has a beginning, middle and end. Okay. And I'd just be interested to, you know, this this is a part of me. This is me when I was 14 years old. This was my imagination. I don't know what mark I got. Maybe you could give me a, a mark at the end of the at the end of the story. But I just thought, you know, this is you getting to see a little part of me that I've not not given you before. Okay, let me just say for the record for everyone listening that I have absolutely no idea what's written there. So I'm just as scared as all of uh, as all of you listeners are. Are you ready to begin? <clears throat> okay, does it have a title? It does. It's called The End of an Era. Okay. Uh, so, if I'm marking you, I'm already starting with low originality. Why? Well, The End of an Era is like, it's like the most popular teenage catchphrase, isn't it? I was 14. Yeah, you were a teenager. <laughs> That's kind of the point. <laughs> okay. The End of an Era... By Ben Goodwin. Age 14. Age 14. <laughs> it doesn't say that on here, I just added that in. At last, the monster awoke from its sleep. Slowly, it pulled out of the station, preparing to wind its way through the lush, rolling hills of the Yorkshire countryside. Hissing as it left the town in its wake, 
it gathered speed quickly, meandering into the darkness of that cold winter's night. Only the bright lights of the train's carriages exposed its location. So is this an analogy for an erection? Oh no, I think it's just a train leaving the station. Yeah, yeah, but in the first place you talk about the train like rising or something like that. What, what is, read that bit again, what does it say? At last the monster awoke from its sleep. Yeah, at last the monster awoke from its sleep. First, why a monster? Again, you kind of well, I'm personifying the steam locomotive, aren't I? Or a penis. Were you obsessed with penises when you were 14? Well, well, I did say this was train spotting erotica. Well, but that's the thing. One, one thing is being erotica in terms of like people having sex on trains or train spotters having sex. Another one is going back to a conversation that we've had on a different on a past episode of this podcast on whether tra- you like trains because they're phallic shaped. Well, maybe this is where it began. Maybe we're we're, we're actually getting to the root cause of my obsession. Okay, so the monster awoke. Between the sheets and into the hills, let's just say that. In a trackside bedroom, a vase began to shake vigorously. <laughs> okay, so we've, we're now doing something about the erection. We're actually vibrating. You're actually stroking. She glided over to the bedroom window <laughs> and gazed down at the humming track, preparing for the weight of the oncoming locomotive. Dressed in her long white silk gown, she crossed her hands around her frozen breasts. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I have loads of questions. First, we are confirming that this is about sex with trains because it's like her awaiting the train or the locomotive. But also, why are her breasts frozen? That sounds painful. Maybe they, maybe they hadn't paid the heating bill. Yeah, but aren't they on the tra- on a train? No, 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 she's at the bedroom window. Oh, so she lives by the train tracks. Is that what we... But I'm, I'm not giving any spoilers away. Okay. So, is she, but again, is she like showing her breast to the passing train? <laughs> oh, is, what, that, like what, is, no, is that what's going to happen next? Do you really think I would write about that at school? Well, why not? The train screamed at her as it approached the junction, its headlight temporarily blinding her. She tried to make out the figures inside the carriages as the black giant passed, (laughs) almost as soon as it had arrived. How she longed to be a passenger on the Midnight Express. The engine left behind a cloud of smoke, engulfing her house like a heavy drove of mist. You know, the thing is, you were 14 when you wrote this, so actually, I'm not sure whether you actually meant for these to be such a reference a sexual reference in in itself either you were another thing either you were really 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 good at metaphors and particularly sexual metaphors <laughs> or you were an inadvertent genius i mean i was 14 i think i'd had a cheeky snog around the back of the bike sheds probably with a girl and i think i'd swapped a packet of doritos to tell a girl that I fancied her when clearly I didn't fancy her because I was gay. So I've always been gay. But. All of these references of the train being a penis and her awaiting it, 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 that's just casual. That's not intended. No. Oh, God. Like, when I said this was railway erotica, like, I think it's accidentally. She was being watched. As the cloud lifted before her, a dark shadow was moving beyond the house. Across the track... In a dowdy grey signal box was a haunting figure. Moving slowly, the shadow occasionally looked up, spying on the pale woman. She squinted, trying to determine who the figure was. Deep down, she knew. She swallowed hard. (laughs) (laughs) She's nervous! Yeah, so that's why she swallowed hard. Also, just, just to say, so this figure is in a signal box. Yes. So the signal boxes, and you correct me if I'm wrong, are not mobile things. No, 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 they're fixed. So basically, she's looking out her window of the house where she probably looked for years, and is surprised to see, basically, the signaler in the signal box that has always been there in front of her house. I'm trying to do something called suspense. Yeah, it's not suspenseful. It just seems like she's the most distracted woman ever. Until she swallows. (laughs) Well, she swallowed hard. She swallowed hard. (laughs) 
Quickly, she flew out of her room, and then, in a quiet but swift manner, (laughs) she slid down the staircase. (laughs) Careful not to make a sound, she turned the lock in the front door and stepped outside. Immediately bitten by the prickly frost, she ran over to the gate, noticing the ebony, motionless sky above her. Wait, at this point, has she dressed herself, or is she still with her uh, frozen boobies? I think she's still with the frozen boobs. Okay. And it's even cold outside, so it's even worse. It's prickly. But she did move out in a quiet but swift manner, so, you know, she's probably got some, you know, blood's pumping. Okay. That probably helps. Pushing the gate with all her strength, she shuddered as a spiral of wind grazed her neck. Can you imagine? Is it like a gate in front of your house? Yeah. Can you imagine? Now, imagine your head okay. pushing it with all of your strength. Not uh, So, opening it, not just opening it, just basically sla- slamming it open with all of your strength. Ah, well, if you listen to the next sentence, barely noticing the track... She scurried to the other side, so it's the it's the gate across the railway line. Ah, uh, okay, so it's not the gate to her house. No. Okay. She scurried to the other side and repeated the procedure with the other gate. She hurried up the signal box's stairs, her heart rate soaring as she flew open the door. Susan! Her face lit up, exposing the rosy cheeks below her luminous blue eyes. He grabbed Susan and held her in her arms, dwarfing her. She felt warm, cupped inside his flesh and muscle. Cupped? Cupped. Did, did he cup her? Like, did he cup <laughs> her bum? Her whole body. She had waited too long to be in his arms again, and tonight she felt happy. I mean, this woman has problems, because she saw this uh, sort of figure on the signal box that has always been there, and she didn't, uh, like... Two paragraphs ago, she didn't know who that was. And suddenly she goes in and the man calls her name. Yeah, because I was building up to the fact that actually they knew each other and they're clearly having a relationship. Yeah, but you mentioned there that she didn't know what it was. She just saw a dark figure that observed her. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'll change that bit for the the published version. Um, Well, anyway, the next sentence, it says, He made her happy. He smiled at her, caressing his warm hands through Susan's long golden roots. I love you, George, she said into his eyes. And with these words, she had given him the approval he wanted. He led her down the steps, below the main structure of the signal box, and there... (laughs) He made love to her. Ah, that's so cute. Also, George and Susan is like the most... Are they like 65? Like the most middle-aged names ever. Together, they embraced until the early hours of the morning, devouring each other's heat and pleasing each other in ways only they knew how to. (laughs) So you were 14 at this time. So I am presuming that the vagueness about talking about them making love is because you didn't really knew how it's done. Yeah, and also I was probably thinking at the back of my mind, I have to hand this in to my teacher, who has to mark it. Well, you're still writing about them making love, you're just not really descriptive on how they do it. So that's the question. Did you have sex ed at that age? Did you did you know, like, oh, the birds yeah. and the bees and... Oh, yeah, I put a condom on a cucumber by that age, yeah. Okay, so... I you... mean, I wasn't having sex, but, like I said, cheeky so you... snog around the back of the bike sheds. You knew the mechanics of it? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, I definitely knew how straight people had sex at that age. Okay. Probably didn't really know how gay people had sex, but I soon found out. Um, I'd lost my train of thought now. They adored each other, both in body and mind, and it was nights like these that made everything worth it. At six o'clock, George opened the door and let Susan return home. He watched from the building's balcony as she skipped across the track, smiling to the dawn before her. He waited until she had entered the house. George imagined her snaking up the old staircase and carefully returning to her bed, pretending she'd been there all night. But in the spare room next to Susan's, a pair of green eyes retreated from between the curtains. Someone had been watching them. Oh, and someone from inside her own house? Her own house, yeah. Okay. So, also, I, I know that I just said that George and Susan seemed to be, like, 65... Were you 55 in your mind when you wrote this? Well, it's clearly set in the olden days because there's a steam engine. Yeah, but it's also like written like if you were a middle-aged man, not a... Well, I was writing to the genre. 
I mean, I was saying that it was railway erotica, but I think I was writing like a piece of like Mills and Boone erotic fiction. It's unintended erotica. Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've literally found this piece of work, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of guesstimating here. I'd probably like to find my school teacher who set this task, but reading it now, I'm actually quite embarrassed that a 14-year-old me thought that this was a suitable piece of work to hand in as a, an assignment. I'm sure your teacher's read worse. Shall we carry on? Uh, yeah, I want to know who the green eyes were. Can I just say, this is so much better, though, than my ghost story that I told a few weeks ago. Yeah, but then again, you didn't set up the bar really high with that ghost story. (laughs) No, I didn't. That's true. Susan picked up her cardigan from the dresser and wrapping it around her icy shoulders. Oh, she's got a lot of icy body parts, hasn't she? the thing is, what, she was naked, didn't she? Or did she have like a gown or something you mentioned? A dressing gown, a silk gown. Like a silk gown. So yeah, she's going to be fucking freezing. Morning, Daddy. His daughter gently kissed him on the cheek. Susan edged toward the table, but before she could, her father's hand reached forward and he crudely slapped Susan across her right cheek. Well, how did we go from her just putting her cardigan on to being slapped on the face? Well, there's quite a lot of dialogue here. Are you ready? No transition. A lot of dialogue, but no transition. How could you? Father... She lay on the kitchen tiles, holding her bruised cheek. Wait, on the tiles? On like the wall tiles? N- on the was floor. She, no, on the she... floor. Oh, on the floor. The floor tiles. I saw you. Saw? Saw me where? Don't pretend I don't know. Last night you went to see him, didn't you? She went to see George. No, I didn't. I swear. Susan was shouting now. I saw you. Don't lie. And after everything you promised... I mean, Susan is a liar. We saw her going to see George. I promised you nothing, Father. So you did go and see him. He raised his eyebrows and slowly pointed his finger towards her fragile face. All right, maybe I did. But what has it got to do with you? Everything. I am your father. And while you live under my roof, I will not allow you to see that man. You know what I feel about him. He's too old for you. So, at this point, I can have an important question that might be even a legal question. How old is Susan? I don't know. I don't think I ever got into that. In my head, she's probably about 20. Okay. Let's go with that. He's too old for you. But I love him, Father. Why can't you understand that? Love? You don't know what love is. Love was what me and your mother had. And look what happened to us. His big, masculine face began to crack. I mean, do we ever find out what happened to the mother? His eyelids became hot and heavy. And so, he recalled the events of 1961. Okay. We're about to find out. <laughs> We're about to find out what happened to the mother. If I, I mean, I kind of wish she's, like, run over by a train or something like that. Is that what you think's happened to Susan's mum? Well, I mean, why otherwise? Why would the father hate the railway and the and the signaler? Maybe it was the signaler that didn't put the signal on time or something like that. And uh, Susan's mum died in a trashing uh, rail accident. Shall we find out? Okay, let's find out. Nineteen sixty-one. It was the year that Susan was to leave home to work in the Dales. It was the year that her parents were to move away so that her father could set up the business he'd always wanted. Which Su- was? I don't know. I don't think it says. I don't know. Carpenter. There's a lot of gaps in this story, Bab. It's a short story. Well, yeah, but still. But Susan's mother left and changed all that. Right, she just left? Apparently. According to the story. If you've got an issue with it, speak to the author. Oh, that's me. Yeah. (laughs) Susan became tied down to her depressed father, who felt that starting a new career wasn't worth it anymore. But Susan didn't mind. 1961 was the year that she met George. She could remember the moment he knocked on the front door. He smiled and introduced himself as the new signalman. He looked fresh and youthful, his tight jumper showing off his toned body. In 1961, he was fresh. Yeah, he was really fresh. (laughs) What would you have said in 1961? I don't know. I don't know. Peachy? Peachy. I mean, clearly in uh, whenever I wrote this, what, 2000 and... 2000, 
Fresh was probably the word of the, the word. The word yeah, of the you time. had like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, didn't you? Will Smith. Anyway, he looked fresh and youthful. His tight okay. jumper showing off his toned body. Now I think that George is Will Smith. By the way, I made that connection. Oh, do now. you? Yeah. Do you know? In my head, George looks a little bit like um, oh, what's his face from the from the the, the showman, the, the the finest showman, the greatest showman. Zac Efron. No, the, the other, other one. one. Um, oh yeah, Wolverine. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. I feel like he's got a bit of a Hugh Jackman about him. Mm, I'm thinking Will Smith. Okay. He looked fresh and youthful. His time was... No. Susan dreamt for months about him. And slowly the two got to know each other. They formed a bond Susan thought never possible between human beings. Yeah, they had sex. It was all perfect for her. Sex. Perfect until her dad interfered. In the distance, a goods train began to build up steam. I thought it was meant to get easier. What with time being a healer and all that. But it just gets worse, Susan. So is that Susan's father? Are we back on the present? And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back, in, back in the room. Back in the okay. room. Okay. Every day I think about her. I don't want you to go through what I have. Tears rushed down his face. And Susan got up off the floor to comfort him. I mean, he's a little bit bipolar. I mean, like two seconds ago, he just slapped her across the face and now he's crying. Wow. Mothering him like a little baby, Susan reassured him that everything would be all right. And so, another train passed. Okay, how are you feeling so far? About, we're about halfway through now. Um, to be honest, I feel that this story is full of blood holes. I, I kind of want to know what business the dad wanted to set up. I want to know why the mum left. I want to know why Susan didn't know that it was George, that figure that was observing her, that freaked her out with her frozen boobs. I definitely want to know why her boobs are frozen. It's cold. Well, yeah, but then she was in the house. But to answer all your other questions... And she had a cardigan as well, so she could have won the cardigan before. But maybe it was quite flimsy. They don't. I, I get the impression they don't have a lot of money. There was no carpet on the floor, because she was on... Well, I suppose kitchen, you have tiles on the kitchen. But what I suggest you do is maybe write to Netflix and see if they want to buy this as a, as a you know, limited series. And then you could flesh out a lot of these over several episodes. Okay, as long as we can get Will Smith to play George. Okay. So we've had like we've had like a little break, so it's like a double space on the page. Okay. So clearly some time has passed now. The once green, moist leaves of the old elm had become crisp and deadened. Susan watched as each day they fell delicately, coating her garden a sea of rusty auburn. Ah, the metaphors, all of these comparisons and colours. Very vivid. Obeying stop taking the piss. Obeying her father, she had refused to see George. Oh, so she didn't see George. Huh? But it was killing her. She was weeping inside. Her heart was fragmenting. They were so near to each other, yet symbolically, they were so far apart. Symbolically, you needed to add that were there. I mean, the concept of too close but too far wasn't clear enough without you say, clarifying that it was symbolically. Well, you know, obviously I just wanted to spell it out for my reader. I didn't want to leave any stone unturned in the understanding and the pragmatics and semantics of my lexicon. Yeah, and still you didn't say why Susan's mum left or what career, the, what business did dad well, wanted to have. I think that's some, you know, some gaps you need to fill them in yourself. I can't tell you everything. <laughs> Which just completely goes against <laughs> what I've just said. Yeah. Earlier, Susan had found her father propped up in an armchair an empty bottle beside him. He mumbled drunkenly as she helped him to bed. And so, in the weighty fog of September the 5th, 1964, Susan left the house to once again cross the track and be with George. Okay, so mum, to be honest, I would have assumed that mum left like years ago. Three years, three years. Yeah, three years. I, I, I kind of thought that the dad was mourning, like it's been, as he said, you know, all of the time heals and so on. I thought it would have been like 10, 15 years, not three years. Mm. Well, a long three years. A long three years. Opening the first gate, she looked over her shoulder. Waiting at the other gate was George, illuminated in a pool of moonlight. She smiled and began to sprint across the railway line, not looking either way. Oh, always look both ways. Is she gonna? Is she gonna get run over by a train? 
Closing the first gate, she was about to dash over to his open arms when another, bleak and ominous arm, grabbed her and tied her down to the white gate. Ah, uh, was that the dad? Where do you think you're going? I mean, literally, it's across the road. George's there. He can see him, so he knows where she's, where she's going. His icy breath stank of whiskey. <laughs> he held a bottle in his free hand. Let go! She screamed. Leave her alone, Thomas! George was shouting from the other gate. Wait, wait, wait. So your train story, one of the main characters is Thomas. <laughs> the dad. <laughs> <laughs> basically I'm making a so basically Susan is Thomas the tank engine's daughter <laughs> no but yeah I, I, if that's if that's where you want to go Bob okay yeah that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna go with I actually think you're uh, diluting some of the tension here okay I'm just gonna put that out there sorry tension <laughs> tension but, uh, this is some of my best writing here <laughs> well okay this was probably like you know, peak Ben performance. <laughs> the building blocks of my GCSEs. You know, without this, I wouldn't have gone on to do A levels. I wouldn't have gone on to university. I wouldn't have gone on to do a postgrad. And sorry, that was a bit of a humble brag, wasn't it? But I wouldn't be here with you today. So really, you've got this. Few I got pieces. Susan to thank for your uh, Susan, Thomas, and George bringing it home. Struggling for freedom, her dad dropped his drink and forced both hands upon her arm. She couldn't get loose. I'm not a little girl anymore. I love George. Let me go. You don't love him. You think you do, but you don't. Dad, stop this. A distant humming sound could be heard. The train's coming. Ah, is this going to be really predictable? I have to stop you. He's not worth it. That's exactly what Mum thought of you. Oh, she's been a bitch tonight. How dare you? He exclaimed. Did and he slap again? Slap her again? No. And forcefully, he pushed her aside onto the track. <gasps> I mean, I want to say that I'm surprised, but there. Now you know. You drove her away, and now you've done the same to me. You're really quiet. I mean, are you? You invested. To be honest, I just want to see if if it is as predictable as I think it is. To be fair, you were always quite good at working out the twist in a film. And also, as through all of these, is George just standing there watching? That's the whole thing. He's on the other gate because he was standing there. Wow. So basically, he's just standing there watching. I mean, George, he just needs to stand there and look ripped in his... In his, <laughs> his tight. In his tight top. Looking fresh. Looking fresh. Without looking back, she began to run across the track, tears streaming down her face towards an awaiting George. Susan's heel caught between the rails, and she slipped on a patch of black ice. She remained temporarily paralysed on the down local. That's that's train term there. Term, uh, okay. That's train terminology train there. Terminology. You don't need to know that, but, you know, basically it's the it's the railway line going away from London. Yeah, I But didn't. it's a local line. Yeah, I didn't ask. Help me, George, she cried out. But George was too late. The discreet diesel was already metres away from her. In all the shouting, its quiet engines had gone unheard. The driver of the engine saw Susan in her last moments, but his consistent sounding of the train's deafening horn did no use. The train captured Susan and carried her under. It passed over her like the black shadow of a gravestone, and at the other side, her white dressing gown had turned an infernal red. <laughs> I mean, suddenly it turned a little bit grim. To be honest, on one hand, yes, predictable. We knew that this was going to happen. The thing is, again, in all of these things, George was just standing there. So they're struggling. Yeah. And George didn't think of saying, hey, a fucking train is coming. You know, he just stood there. I think when I wrote this, basically the character of George, I just kind of thought he was somebody who was really fit. And that was just kind of like, I didn't really know what to do with him. I was just kind of like, you know, I was coming to terms with my own sexuality and writing about this, like, really... I'd kind of written a heterosexual love story, but really, I wanted to be with George. I wasn't... Yeah, but again, George isn't saying anything. And I know that you didn't know what to do with George. Maybe just screaming, hey, a train is coming. But George doesn't need to do anything. He just needs to be fit and wear a tight top. <laughs> yeah, and now his girlfriend is dead. In response, George ran over to the motionless body. 
Her father, watching on with horror, placed his hands together and looked up at the night sky. Susan was right. He began to cry. Susan was right that he was going to cry? No, I think Susan was right that, you know, he'd, he'd forced his wife away and now he'd forced his... There's clearly a backstory there that the short story is not going to have time to go into of, of why Susan's parents, you know, went their separate... Well, why Susan's mum ran away. Now, interestingly, on the page, listeners won't be able to see this, but on the page, I put three asterisks. So clearly, just putting it out there, a bit more time has passed. So it's like an epilogue or something like that. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Okay, so does the dad get on with George? Well, let's find out. I did you see that stutter on page three today? Course, I'd give her one. The two men laughed. Oh, it's a little bit, little bit sexist, that isn't it? I, I didn't understand what you said. Well, page three was traditionally in the tabloid newspapers where they would have picture of a topless lady. Yeah, okay. And I'd give her one. Well, it's basically like I would. I'd yeah, do yeah, her basically. I, I mean, that's when that one was clear enough. The two men laughed. They laughed like they always did, all day long. It wasn't exactly a stimulating job. Checking for cracks on practically deserted railway lines. So, they laughed. I mean, they're jolly old guys, aren't they? We're nearly done. Good. I'm dying for a fag. Steve shuddered. Blimey, I think someone's just walked over me grave, Mike. I was thinking that. It's come over real cold all of a sudden. Well, it's nearly winter now. Where did the summer go, eh? So, did their boobs get cold then? The gates by the signal... What what are you wondering about the boobs? I don't know. I'm obsessed with the frozen boobs. That's the thing. I kind of want to hear about the frozen boobies. Can we move past the frozen boobs? No, I kind of move past the frozen boobies. I mean, I've not read this story in nearly 20 years. But, well, I've not read this story... How old am I now? So you're 36 now. Okay, so I've not read this story in... Yeah, it is 20 years. 22 years. Oh, my God. Come on, keep on reading. I want to. Uh, I want to know if Steve's boobs got frozen. Well, I can. I, basically, the point I was going to make is I haven't read this story in over twenty years, but I can categorically confirm that there is no more frozen boobs. Okay. In the last few paragraphs. Disappointing. The gates by the signal box began to creak. A delicate wind was blowing through its supports and forcing them to sway from side to side. However. The breeze only got stronger and stronger, forcing the men to rush what they were doing so they could escape to the warmth of their van. Okay. A distant humming sound could be heard. A train, maybe? You've used that reference for trains? What the bloody heck is that? Steve shouted. A train, Steve. It's a train. And without warning, there in the middle of the track stood a young woman, watching the workers in perfect silence. Oi! Get yourself inside, love! You're going to catch your death dress like that out here! She didn't move. She just kept a fixed glance and a slight smile on her blue lips. <laughs> she has bl- blue lips, so she's cold. <laughs> she's cold. What about her boobies? <laughs> we don't know about her boobies. Okay. Inquisitive little thing, aren't you? Mike wanted to go over and usher her away, but he was too mesmerised to do so. Both men were in awe of her beauty and courage. Yet, almost as quickly as the woman had appeared, she began to walk over the track towards the derelict signal box. Right, and go back. So why why her courage? She's just standing there. What's courageous about that? Because she stood in front of the railway line. I mean, you shouldn't do that. I suppose it's not courageous, is it? It's probably stupid, but not courageous. Mm, maybe I need to work on that one in the edit. I mean, yeah, I, I'm working on your mark. The two men began to come around. Something had just happened, which neither of them would ever be able to explain. But by this time, the discreet diesel was already metres away from the men. In all the shouting, its quiet engines had gone unheard. The driver of the engine saw Mike and Steve further down the line, but his consistent sounding of the train's deafening horn did no use. Move! Steve screamed. He forced Mike onto the other line and managed to flee there himself too. About a hundred yards down the line, the diesel came to a standstill. Now, I know now, in adulthood, that it would take a diesel more than a hundred yards to stop, but anyway. Probably, anyway, yeah. Leave that with me. I mean, the technical bits is in the part that we're interested in anyway. 
The driver was still sounding his horn, more out of shock than anything. In a few split seconds, the two men had just escaped death. What? What the... What the hell just happened? Mike was out of breath. His speech was broken. It was, after all, September the 5th, 1994. Susan's ghost had almost killed them. Or was she helping them? I mean, it sounds like she almost killed them. Yeah, she probably did almost kill them, I didn't mean, she? I mean, Susan was resentful. Well, you know, she had an axe to grind. Well, to be honest, <laughs> he, she had a lot of things to grind, apparently. George being one of them. Now, can I just say, because I know you're considering my mark um, as, as a qualified uh, Ofsted registered English teacher that you are... <laughs> But can I just say about the title? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you noticed, it's called The End of an Era. Yeah. And obviously it's the end of an era because Susan dies and it's yeah. the end of her life. But I don't know if you noticed at the start of the story, it was all talking about steam engines. Yes, I noticed that. So why suddenly she got run over by a diesel? Because in that period, 1964, that I was writing about, it was when they were replacing all the steam engines with diesel trains. So there's kind of a poetic discussion about the transition from steam power to diesel traction i just wanted to put that out there in case that might affect the or ba- scoring or basically just the title had absolutely nothing to do with the actual story so first of all i don't think that it takes like a psychology uh, major or something like that to know that you were quite horny when you were 14 I mean, the whole introduction had absolutely nothing to do with the story. It was just talking about trains as if they were penises. I mean, okay. Had nothing to do with the story. No relationship whatsoever to the story. Then, I'm, I'm afraid, perhaps, that it's quite a predictable story. I, I, it almost borderlines plagiarism. Okay, you t- plagiarism from where? From any story... Name one. ...about the girl, the dead girl. Oh, she's been dead for 20 years. In this case, it was like 40 years, but... 50 years. 30, I think you'll find. Um, it's a predictable story, but... I mean, let's just say to your 14-year-old self... Good try. Thank you for bringing your adult self to me... ...by writing the story that is the chain of events of your life... Your college degrees and all of those things. <laughs> See, when you correct things, you kind of need to sort of give the criticism, join with something nice. Isn't it? What What do teachers say? Isn't it like a shit sandwich? You have something positive, yeah. then something shit, and then something positive. Now, in this case, it's like you were horny. The story's kind of crap, but it led you to me. Oh, okay. So that's my shit sandwich. Yeah. So out of ten... Or what What mark, What grade would you give that? Well, the thing is, if I graded as an adult, I would probably say three. But you were 14 at a time, so for... for three? Yeah. It, it's not great, Bob. And I'm a tough teacher. But considering that you were 14... I actually thought it was quite good. Well, considering you were 14, actually... No, even now. I, I think that you would have got a really good mark. Do you remember what mark you got from... from no, it? I don't remember what mark. <laughs> Probably got nothing. <laughs> oh, poor thing, poor baby. <laughs> Do you want to go and see a signal box? <laughs> yeah. And will that make you feel better? <laughs> yeah, I want to go and see George. Oh, why George? Uh, I want to go and see you. Ah, okay, that's a little bit better. Well, I feel like I've poured my heart out there. You've really got to see a different side of me that you've never seen before. That was a window into my 14-year-old brain. I know. I'm still a little bit in shock. But I think I think what's interesting is all the seeds are there. I mean, my love of trains was clearly apparent. And... The penis references Well, I think I think you can see a young teenager struggling with their sexuality. And I don't want to overplay it in any sense because, you know... I know it's not necessarily something we've talked about a lot uh, on the podcast, but the sort of coming out. 
I wouldn't have said, you know, I had a particularly traumatic experience in that sense, but it's still difficult. Oh, yeah. uh, and I think you can kind of see that in the story. Yeah, definitely. And, and the thing is, when you're 14, do you really sort of fully understand what being gay means? Well, I, I, I knew I liked tight clothes. Uh, I mean... <laughs> and things were fresh. Yeah, I mean, and things were fresh. <laughs> but, well, guys, our listeners, am I being a very tough teacher in marking Ben's work? <laughs> Would you mark it any differently? I think our listeners would be much more sympathetic than you've been. Well, our listeners, dear listeners, let us know. How can they let us know? They can tell us by tweeting us at barebackpod. They can contact us on Instagram at barebackpodcast. Or they can also uh, search us on Facebook. Just search bareback. Or you can email us barebackpodcast at gmail.com. Well, do you know what? I'm feeling a bit inspired now. I feel I feel like I'm going to write a sequel. Are you going to write a sequel? Yeah, I'm going to call it Still the End of an Era. Still <laughs> the End of an Era. Another, the end of the second era. Well, I feel like it because, I mean, if that one was 1994, we're about, what, 30 years in the future now anyway, aren't we? So I could write a modern one, maybe about, you know, high-speed rail. We can talk about the maglev. Uh, yeah. In Japan. I'm, yeah. What, Susan's going to go over to, to China and, and, and haunt the maglev? Yeah, why not? Well, I think she'll, I think she'll to be fair, I think Susan, she's, she wants to stay where she is. With her frozen boobies. <laughs> Stop it with the frozen boobies! I love the frozen boobies! I want frozen boobies! <laughs> not for me, I mean, I want to see Susan's frozen boobies. Why? I don't know, because I just love her frozen boobies. Right, we are taking this away from the microphone. I need to find out why you're obsessed with the frozen <laughs> boobies because this is some seriously weird shit. Yeah, I know. Frozen boobies. Bye! Bye! Bye.